I got to do some minor adjusting this morning. My buddy David built me this table, and it's self-stabilizing. Isn't that cool? Little known fact, Jesus actually preached with the table. Did you know that? Go back and read in the original language. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Went right over. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. I don't think Jesus needed a table. One, he didn't need notes. Uh, and two, he knew what to do with his hands. And so he didn't have to hide behind a table. But anyway, the words of Jesus this morning. What's going on, brother? I will. No, you're good. Come on up here. She couldn't move her wrist. She was needing surgery. We pray a prayer and God heals. That's what he does. Would you praise him this morning? These signs follow those who believe. Mark 16 puts it pretty clear, people. We want to pray fancy prayers and pray long and yell and shout. And we just have to pray in faith. There's nothing wrong with yelling and shouting and getting intense, but our faith's in him and not ourselves. Amen. It's not about our fancy prayers. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time. It's not debatable. It's not negotiable. Not like LeBron and Jordan, even though we all know it's Jordan. Anyway, <laughs> it's Jordan. Simple. Anyway, LeBron's lame. Um, we all know that. You just got a revelation this morning in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. But Jesus, in this sermon, he preaches the most strenuous, most high code of ethics ever spoken on the earth. In Matthew 5, 38 through 45, we'll read quickly. He says this. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. And if anyone would sue you 
and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. That's old covenant. That's old covenant. And Jesus is there and saying a new covenant is coming. A new standard is coming. You once let vengeance and justice be yours. But now I say to you, don't retaliate against those who hurt you and wrong you. Don't seek vengeance. Verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way. Love your enemies, verse 44, and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard that many a times, or maybe you've read it many of times, but I want you to try to imagine, as I try with myself, imagine that you're hearing this for the first time. And imagine that you've been told this all your life for the first time, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth and Jesus come and fl- comes and flips that on his head and calls us higher. He calls us higher. Possible thoughts you might have. I don't, I think if you were sitting there, you might be thinking, that just doesn't sound right to me. Does that sound right to you? Are you sure about that, Jesus? Are you off your rocker, Jesus? But Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't back off at all. Matthew 6, 9 through 15, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. This is what he says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't read these verses very often, do we? We want to stop right there. Put those back up, if you would. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For followers of Jesus, forgiveness is more than just a good idea. It's more than just a good rule of thumb. Forgiveness is a command. And that's heavy. And that's hard. Praying for those who have wronged you is hard. Anybody have the supernatural gift this morning of praying for your enemies? Of praying for those who hurt you? You want to hold your hand up and wave it? There's one. I see one. Hmm. I'll talk to you after church. I'm just kidding. That was a joke, kind of. I know they were kidding too. They were laughing. Forgiving those who hurt you does not come easy, and it is not natural. So how? How do we follow such a command? Today I at least want to begin to answer this question. What do we do when people let us down? 
And I say begin on purpose because this is more of a first step. And there's some steps after that that I'll talk about a little bit. But this is the first step. What do we do when people let us down? And just to be completely transparent, I pull some of this from a sermon from a guy named Rich Wilkerson Jr. You can look this up for yourself. His message was called, When People Let You Down. And I preached this sermon, uh, one like it, to my students a couple weeks ago. And as I begin to scan my brain and, and even look back through my old notes of preaching, I've been preaching for a while, not as long as pastor, but for a while. And I, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon, the best of my remembrance, on this. And to be honest with you, I've mentioned it, I've talked about it, but there's a couple reasons why. And the truth of the matter is, this is something I have struggled with. I'm just being transparent with you. I have not arrived this morning. I am still here in the flesh. So my work on the inside that God is doing in me is not complete. And this is something I've wrestled with. And just to be truthful this morning, I have been one of those people who have been deeply wronged by my friends and family alike. And I'd be willing to bet and guess that many of you probably feel the same. And I'm not going to get into that stuff, what happened to me, because that's not important. I've struggled with it for that reason and for another reason, which I'll reveal at the end. And this is what, just to give you a brief explanation for a moment, this is what unforgiveness did to me. And I know we're human, and I think maybe your experience might be at least similar to mine. And I hope that you don't have this and that this hasn't been you, but this is what happened to me. When people hurt me, instead of completely just giving the offense to the Lord, and I'll talk about that in a little bit and what that looks like. I didn't know it but I, I, at the time so well, but I held on to it. And I wouldn't let it go. And it led to a lot of bitterness and resentment. And like an infection, this bitterness and resentment started to spread. And it started to affect my whole body. And I let that infection lead me to a place of loneliness I had major trust issues. I would not let people in. Hard exterior. My job and my role for years, I wanted people to not have any idea who I really was. And so what I would do is I would try to confuse them. And I would say things that I seemed serious about and I wasn't, and I would say things I wasn't serious about or they thought I wasn't serious about, and I really was. That was me. Eventually, that hard exterior, that leading, getting led to a place of loneliness that I let myself go to, it led to depression. And depression is a heavy word that gets thrown around really loosely. And depression is not something that I stand here before you and wave like a badge of honor and say, I've been depressed. That's not what God wants you to do, people. Don't wear it like a badge of honor. That's not what I'm doing here this morning. I don't use depression loosely, I promise you. But I let this place 
And I let these things, this resentment, this unforgiveness lead me to a place of isolation. And I let the devil lead me there. And the devil isolates you so he can kill you. Many, many people believe the lie that healing is found in isolation and in self. The devil isolates you to kill you. And to be completely honest with you, and I don't say this lightly this morning, it almost killed me. But I stand here today as a testament of the mercy of God. That God has helped me forgive as he has forgiven me. That he has healed my inner man and he continues to heal me. As those offenses get thrown back into my face and come to my remembrance, God, the Holy Spirit, empowers me to put them back down and to not pick them up again. And he helps me to continue to forgive when new offenses come my way. But once again, how? How? How do we do that? The big idea today is this. To forgive, we run to and rely on the one who understands. And we give our offense to the one who did and can do something about it. And you might be sitting here today and say, I've tried that. That's too simple. Let me give you some revelation today. Jesus understands. You need to get a hold of this today. Because I'm willing to bet many of you in this place do not have a hold of this. That God wants to put this deep in your heart and deep in your soul. That Jesus understands. Look at me, church. Jesus understands. And I didn't come up with that. The word tells us so. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Some of us have limited this just to temptation. This scripture goes far beyond just temptation. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands. We don't have a God who decided to stay far away from man. We have a God who came and lived among man and experienced the effects of a sin-fallen world. That's the God we serve. That's the God of the universe this morning who understands exactly what you've been through because he's been through it too. I love serving a God like that. The only one and true God. And if anyone has ever existed that did not deserve to be betrayed, to be wronged, 
to be stabbed in the back, to be falsely accused. It was Jesus. If there was anyone who didn't deserve it, it was Jesus. The one who never wronged anyone and the one who never committed any wrong. Jesus. But he was. And I want to go through quickly this morning. Well, kind of quickly this morning. Your meats can marinate a little longer, I promise. Four different types of people, four different people groups that offended, hurt, wronged. Offended is not the right word. I take that back, erase that. Who wronged Jesus. The first one we cover today is family. Jesus was wronged by his family. And for most of us, family hurt cuts the deepest. It cuts the deepest. Because we are hurt the most by people who are in close proximity to us. If I go on the internet later, and someone from, and if Joe Smo from Smo Joe, Texas, has watched this sermon and said, that sermon is whack. Because that's what people say a lot now. It's the next new thing. (laughs) Who cares? But if my wife comes to me after church today and says, babe, you really dropped the ball on that. And then she puts that on the internet, that hurts. Why? I don't care about Joe Smo. But I care about people who are close to me. Jesus' mother and father. Luke 2, 43 through 46. I'll read it fastly. The feast was ended. They were turning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they could not find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus' parents lost him, home alone style, thought he was with the people, and he wasn't. They just assumed he was good, and he was traveling back home, but he wasn't, and it took them three days to find him. Now, Jesus is Jesus, and he wasn't worried. Imagine you, 12-year-old you, right? That That would scar you, possibly, But chances are you probably wouldn't be in the temple asking questions and preaching to the people who devoted their life to the scriptures. Probably wouldn't have been you. Anyway, if that's you, praise God. If we go on to Mark 3, you might feel that's a little light. Let's go a little deeper here. Mark 3, 21. Now Mark, the book of Mark is so good. And Jesus, it's like boom, 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 boom. He's just revealing, he's showing he is the king. It's just work after work, healing after healing, word after word. It's powerful. And it says this, the crowds begin to get a lot of attention. He began to get a lot of attention. Mark 3, 21, his family heard it. They went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. You done went plumb crazy, Jesus. Sometimes family are your biggest critics, are they not? And that hurts. You think Jesus overlooked that? Do you think he didn't experience that? Did he, not, did he sin in it? No. Did he harbor it? No, but he experienced it. John 7, 5, his brothers, 
says this, for not even his brothers believed in him. Do you have a mom and a dad who didn't believe in you? Do you have brothers, sisters who said you'll never amount to anything? Jesus' own brothers didn't believe him. Jesus told them, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna raise three days later and he dies and they're not even looking for him. They're not counting down the day saying, anytime now. No. They didn't even believe him. Jesus knows what it's like to be wrong, let down, mistreated by the ones who were supposed to care for us the most. Our family was meant to be the safest place we can be. Fathers, you have a high calling this morning. Your home is supposed to be the safest place for your family to exist. Jesus wants to heal you this morning, Father. You've been carrying trauma around for too long. And every single thing done to you, all the trauma that's left undealt with, it will be transmitted. And it'll be transmitted to those who are closest to you. And the people closest to you are your wife and your kids. And whether you realize it or not, if you sat here in this place this morning, hurt by family, hurt by your father, hurt by your mother, by them not being there, or by what the words they said or the things they did or the things they didn't do, Jesus wants to heal you. Because I promise you, you're hurting those people close to you. And you've been blinded because you put that hurt down deep in your soul. You put it way down deep. And you put it deep, the devil put it deep. <sighs> because unforgiveness and trauma and pain grow in the dark. And this morning, by the supernatural power of the Spirit of God, Jesus wants to bring those things you laid down low into the light. And he brings it into the light this morning because he wants to heal you. Because he wants to suck the poison out of your body. Because he wants to do surgery on you this morning. And he wants you to stop hurting your kids and hating your wife. It's not too late. You want to see revival? Let fathers turn their heart back to God the Father and let them turn their heart also back to their spouse and their kids. That's revival. That's change. In Jesus' name, let homes be a place of sanctuary. In Jesus' name, let fathers be healed. Jesus was betrayed by his friends. You can go read it for yourself later. I won't. I was going to, but I won't. Jesus, on the, the heaviest day, even heavier than being, Jesus was took to the wilderness on purpose. God took him there by himself on purpose, okay, to prepare him. But in this moment, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows, in Mark 14, he knows that the weight of the world is about to be placed on his shoulders. He knows that for the first time ever that he is going to have separation between him and his father. Forever, Jesus and his father had no separation. He knew what was coming. And so what did he do? 
he goes to the garden to pray. And he takes his friends with him. And he says, I need you to pray for me in this hour of need. Zach's version. And what happens? Goes to pray, comes back, his friends are asleep. You can't even pray for me for an hour? I thought we were friends. Jesus goes back to pray some more. He comes back, his friends are asleep again. Wakes them up. Goes back to pray some more. He comes back. What happens? His friends are asleep again. The very hour, the very time that he needed his friends most, that he needed them to pick up the phone, that he needed their presence and he needed their attention and he needed them to pray, they didn't show up. They dropped the ball. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be in desperate need of a friend and you pick up the phone and you call and they don't answer. Jesus knows what that's like for the friend to drop the ball. Some of y'all haven't been hurt by your family, you've been hurt by your friends. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by Judas. The guy, he washed his feet, you know, the guy that walked with him everywhere, the guy that saw everything. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't treat Judas like a runt, like a, a, the, the, the ugly duckling. If that's in your Bible, you need a new translation. Judas betrayed Jesus for personal gain, selfish ambition, for 30 pieces of flipping silver. Jesus knows what it's like to have someone put a price on your friendship. He knows what it's like. Subpoint. We, as believers are members of the kingdom of God. And as members of the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be different than the world. We're supposed to actually be a counterculture. If the world's going one way, we're probably going the other 99.9999% of the time. But I don't know if Christians are any better than being, at being friends than people of the world. Are you? Are you just as selfish as the world is? We should do better, church. We shouldn't be the one causing offense. Are we going to drop the ball? Yes. Are we going to mess up? Yes. But there is no right for you to be a selfish jerk and to not be a friend. If you're a selfish jerk and you're all about you then you're, you're just doing what the world does and we're supposed to be different. By this they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13, 35. Where's that supernatural love at, church? I know there are pockets, but where is it at? Uh, I'm not saying you put up with everything that someone does. I'm not saying that you be a doormat. You're not Jesus and you can't handle it. Jesus could and in, in every moment Jesus found himself in, he was the one influencing people. No one was influencing him, and that's not you. So I'm not telling you to put yourself in a bad situation. But I am telling you, Jesus didn't give up on his friends like we do. Jesus was a better friend than we are. And Jesus is calling us to a higher standard of love. Let's operate in it. Number three. 
You're like, just now number three? Yeah, we, and then we got more after number four, amen? <laughs> amen. Jesus knows what it's like to be wronged by his foes. Jesus had a lot of enemies, amen? You read, you read about it? Did you see that? Uh, John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chase you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, the word, excuse me, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep, excuse me, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil and as an account, or on account, excuse me, of the Son of Man. Jesus knows what it's like to hate, or to feel extreme hate from people that oppose you. And understand this morning, understand this. You might not like this, you'll get over it. These people weren't just disagreeing with Jesus. They weren't just saying, you're wrong, Jesus. These people were trying to kill him. They hated him. Church, hear me this morning. Just because someone of the world disagrees with you doesn't mean you're getting persecuted. We're not meant to be that fragile. Bringing some balance back to the sermon. Disagreement is not persecution, church. They were trying to kill him. Kill him. Read it. Over and over again. He's like, I got a dip. These people are trying to kill me. Over and over and over. I'm losing some of you. Here we go. Let's keep moving. You're like, I don't know what dip means. I love a good dip. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Dip's the best. All right. And sauce. Oh, praise God. I'm hungry this morning. Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Jesus found some of his biggest foes in the church. You understand these people were devoted, devoted, devoted. They knew it better than you. I'd put money on it. I would. Matthew 12, 14, the Pharisees went out, conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt by church folk. And some of you in this place, your biggest hurt comes from people inside the church that you thought had your back. You thought was looking out for you and they were actually looking out for their self and they actually stabbed you in the back. And the church is the only army, you've heard this before probably, who kills their own wounded. If you've been hurt this morning, God wants to bring that to light. He doesn't want you to keep that down low anymore. He doesn't want to keep you out of ministry. He doesn't want to keep you bitter and angry. He wants to heal you this morning. Moving on. I wrestled with this one last but not least. Jesus knows what it's like to be wronged by people in authority. Now hear me out. Matthew 27, Pilate has all the authority to stop Jesus from being crucified. And I understand that Jesus had to be crucified. I get it. I get that theology. We can argue about it later. But understand that Jesus, as he sat there, was completely innocent. And Pilate had every opportunity to let him off the hook because he'd done nothing wrong. Pilate knew he wasn't 
didn't do anything wrong. He knew that the people were wrong, yet he bowed to what people wanted, and he did the wrong thing. And there are people in this room, you've been betrayed by people in positions of authority that should have had your best interests as mine, who should have protected you, but instead in that position they made the wrong move and that caused you, <coughs> excuse me, a tremendous amount of hurt and pain. God wants to heal you of that and Jesus can sympathize with that. And I believe as Jesus stood there, wrongly accused, I believe he can go back to that moment and when he sees his kids have the same thing going on, he can say, son, Daughter, I know how you feel. Come to me. Jesus understands this morning. Get a hold of it, what it feels like. He knows exactly what you have been through, what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be wronged in every way imaginable. But he doesn't even stop there. I want to read this to you. Psalm 56, 8. You keep, God, you keep track of all of my sorrow. Mm. Receive this this morning. You keep track of all of my sorrow. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. All those tears you have cried, all that hurt you have experienced, all those words you have heard, that hurt, that have caused you pain, he collected all your tears. He's seen them all. Every offense done to you, he wrote it down in his book. So no tear is wasted. He cares about your pain. He doesn't leave you in it. He doesn't pull back from you. He sees it and he cares. He cares. And you feel like he cares from afar, but if you would pay attention, he's standing right next to you. He didn't collect it from afar. He's right there. He's right there. Knowing Hebrews 4 is true, knowing that Jesus can fully sympathize with us, knowing that Jesus collects our tears, our response should be Hebrews 4.16. Let us draw, let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Back to how do we forgive those who wrong us. We run and rely on, we run to and rely on the one who understands. And we give our offense to the one who did and can do something about it. God brings things into light, as I've already said, to expose them so he can heal them. And what he wants you to do, if you struggle with unforgiveness, if you've harbored things, if you put them deep down in your heart, listen to me, church. Draw near to the throne of grace. Run to God. Tell him exactly what happened to you. He already knows, but tell him. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him what you experienced. Tell him what you're feeling. Shed tears in his presence and let him wrap you in mercy and grace. 
Let him bring every emotion, every thought, every wound to the surface. Let the things that you've hidden down deepest be brought to the light so he can heal you. Unforgiveness grows in the dark, church. I'll say it again. It grows in the dark. Trauma grows in the dark. And after we stand there, or probably more so in a laying on the floor position if you're really pouring your heart out, as you lay there fully exposed to him, give him your offense. You can't stop with tears. You can't stop with expressing yourself. You've got to give him the offense. That's what happens, church. You come to the altar and you cry and you tell him what you've been through, but you hold it. You shed your tears, say, thank you for understanding me, and you get up and you walk on. Instead of saying, here, here, the offense, it's yours. I give it to you. What does the word say? Who cares what I say? What does the word say? Beloved, never avenge yourself, Romans 12, 9. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Could you leave that up there for a little bit? Vengeance and justice are God's job. And let me fill you with hope this morning. I hope you already know this, but maybe you've forgotten or it hasn't sunk deep into your heart, but God's the best at vengeance. He's the best. Some of y'all in this room, I could call you and say, hey, who's your mechanic? Who's your guy? I got a problem. Who's your guy? And you've got a guy. Some of you in this room in the morning say, I got a plumbing problem. I need a plumber. Call your friend. Who's your guy? They got a plumbing guy, a flooring guy. A lawyer guy. I love lawyers. I'm just kidding. That one just... Just throw it out. Forget about it. Let God be your justice guy. You want vengeance? Let him be your guy. You want justice? Let him be your guy. Our job is not vengeance and justice. Our job is forgiveness. Rich Wilkerson Jr. said this. I think they'll put it on the screen. Forgiveness doesn't mean the hurt never happened. It simply means it no longer controls me. You can leave that there for a moment. Forgiveness doesn't mean that hurt never happened. It just simply means it no longer controls me. God's not letting anyone off the hook. God's not saying that what happened to you was small and insignificant. God's saying that has a hold on you and it's time you let it go, son. It's time you let it go, daughter. Theologian Lewis B. Smeeties, and I probably said that wrong. Forgive me, Mr. Smeeties, you're dead. I'm pretty sure it says this. To forgive, he doesn't care. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Let that sink in for a moment. The tension in this room, you could cut it with a knife. And the devil wants you to just stay right where you're at because he hates you. Oh, he hates you. You've been in prison that you put yourself in. The door's open. 
walk out. In Jesus' name. Today I stand before you. I'm almost done, maybe. I stand before you as someone who can testify that these statements are true, that if you let unforgiveness remain in your life, it will control you. I've experienced it. I sit here and stand here. I'm not sitting. I'm standing here as someone who understands. And I told you at the beginning, there was another reason I had a hard time letting go of unforgiveness. And one of those problems was my pride. Pride will cause you to overlook your own faults and to magnify everyone else's. That's what we do sometimes with the Bible, right? We like use it as a magnifying glass and we put it on. Say, you see where you're wrong to everyone else? And it's really a mirror. Looking right back at you saying, you see where you're wrong? Some of y'all like that. Some of y'all got it. Pride tells you, I don't deserve to be treated like that. And let me balance this out a little bit. I'm going to be straight with you for a moment. I've got a buzzword right now. If you want to set me off, and I'll just try to pull myself by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you, one word right now, I can't say, deserve. Ugh, hate that word. Hate it. Everywhere, you deserve it. You deserve that funnel cake. You earned it. They're selling it to you. You deserve a vacation. You've been working hard and you know you've been twiddling your thumbs. Mm. Be free in Jesus' name. <sighs> Let me remind you this morning. Let me get in your business as I get into mine that those people shouting crucify him that you might not have been there but you were there you were shouting the same thing. That those people that hung Jesus on the cross, that even though you're here now and you weren't there then, you did that too. You put them there, just like they did. Let me remind you this morning what we all actually deserve. Hello? You know what you deserve? Hell. Forever. But thanks be to God, we don't have to get what we deserve. We don't. Raise your name, God. And we want mercy for ourselves and we want justice and pain for everybody else. Ugh. Run to the cross. Get in God's presence. Let him remind you how small you are. Let him show you just how unrighteous you are. You think you got it figured out? Hang out there a little longer. Let him bring something else to the light. Pride is what happened to me. Started looking at what happened to me, saying I would never do that to someone. I would never wrong someone like that, thinking I'd never find someone worthy of being real with. And I wear my unforgiveness like a bulletproof vest. I put on a vest everywhere I went. You can't get through. Can't mess with me. You're not going to hurt me again. Nobody's going to hurt me. You know what that vest was? Pride. 
I thought I was protecting myself. But forgiveness takes humility. Get in God's presence. He will humble you. We're about to bring this thing to a close. He will humble you. He will show you your own faults. He'll remind you. How quick are we to forget that we've wronged people too? Hello? Anybody out there? Major time to ground control. He will show you where you've been wronging him in his presence. He'll remind you that you need people. What did the garden do? We hid from God and then we hid from each other. The leaves, we hid from each other. We hid from God. We ran from him. Horizontal, that's horizontal. Twin rivers, vertical, right? I love twin rivers. I love y'all. Anyway. We need people, y'all. God doesn't want you to be so offended that you don't have anybody in your circle. Jesus knew Peter, James, and John were going to be dinguses. He knew. He loved them. Picked them anyway. He knew. He will remind you when other people got it right. When you've been wrong, you, you, will, not even, you will not even let yourself think about when people got it right. You won't. They'll do something nice to you and you're so wounded and so hurt and you're so like this, you can't hurt me. When someone does something right, you discard it and you question their motives and you say, they're just a hater anyway. They're just trying to get in, hurt me. God wants to strike your nerve this morning. You do not belong in isolation Stop letting the devil run you away from God's presence and from his people. And in his presence, he will empower you and enable you to forgive. Oh, God, I'm not strong enough. I know you're not. God, I can't do it. No, you can't. But I'll help you. But I'll give you the power. He didn't ask you to do something he didn't empower you to do. Anything God asks you to do, he'll empower you to do it. I tell my kids this all the time. If you look at me in the face and you say, Zach, get off that stage, run 12 miles. I'll be like, uh, and if you don't, you're going to die. I'll be like, uh, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. But if God said, Zach, go run 12 miles, and God, please don't. But if he did... If he did, he would empower me to do it. Anything God commands you to do, he gives you the power to do. Amen. Almost done. This is my third closing. Proverbs 8.13 says this. All who fear the Lord will hate evil, therefore I hate pride, ow, and arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. Go, go home, read this in another version of the Bible. There's another version that says, I hate pride. And then if you skip over to another, it says, I, I hate pride. And then another version of the Bible, it says, I hate pride. He's pretty clear. 
He's pretty clear. He hates it. Would you stand this morning? Let's lay our pride down today. Let's let the Holy Spirit come in and expose the things that have been laying dormant and, and causing pain and hurt. Let those things be exposed today in the name of Jesus. If you're in this place today and you are hurt and you've been let down and you know it and you've been holding on to it, today is your day. Today is your day to lay the offense at Jesus, to go to the one who understands, to turn vengeance over to him and to begin, to begin your healing in Jesus' name. Today is the day to tell God how you feel, what's been done to you, and to lay it down in his feet and to never pick it up again. And to let him heal you and suck out the poison of bitterness and resentment in Jesus' name. And to let him empower you to keep forgiving. Forgiving of new offenses and what the enemy does, he brings to light the old offenses. And he wants you to get hurt again. And he wants to take you right back where you just left. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit this morning, wants to empower you to forgive. So I pray this prayer over you this morning and I say a quote that I hope sticks and in, in, just sinks into your heart. And after I do this, I'm gonna invite you, if you've got wounds, you've got pain this morning, bring it to Jesus, that's the first step. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If there be any grievous way in me, show me lead me in the way of everlasting. Let the light expose the dark this morning. Because Richard Rohr said this, if we don't transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. If we don't transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. It's time to let the Holy Spirit transform your pain. And let that wound that's gushing open and full of infection be sewn up and let it leave a scar and scars are reminders of the goodness and the grace and the power of God let him wrap his arm around you and heal you this morning if you're in this room today I just open this altar right now for you to come and to lay these offenses at the feet of Jesus would you come would you come Church, I'm going to ask you to try to be obedient. I would encourage you, if you can kneel, to kneel. I'm going to ask you, church, not to come and pray for one another. This is a personal thing. This is between you and the Lord. So I'm going to ask you, unless the Holy Spirit just absolutely screams in your ear, pray for someone, let people pray on their own. There's still room. Come. I'm not a beggar. This is against my DNA. But right now, you're sitting there bitter. You're even mad at me this morning because you just wanted a nice, peaceful Labor Day. And instead, God has got up in your business this morning. And he got up in your business and he brought this to light because he wants to give you peace. You think you have peace? God wants to give you peace. He wants you to stop running from the pain and he wants you to run to him.
this morning. I'm going to pray for these people. I'm not going to lay hands on them unless the Lord instructs me in a moment. I'm going to pray for them. And as after I pray, if you all would sing, and we're just let these people have a moment in the presence of God. Lord, I pray for every person at this altar right now that they would experience the supernatural love and grace and mercy and power of the Holy Spirit. And as they lay here, as they kneel down, fully exposed to you, fully exposed to your light, I pray, God, as that trauma, as that pain, as that unforgiveness is brought to the surface, that you suck out the poison, that you suck out the infection that's spread to their body right now. In Jesus' name. And I pray that wound, you would take out all infection this morning. And I pray you would sew it up with supernatural stitches. And you begin their process of physical therapy today. In Jesus' name. Let them walk out of here healed. Let them walk out of here different. Let them walk out of their prison that they've been standing in for too long. In Jesus' name, as they sing, would you praise the Lord? Self away and 
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear out there that is still holding on for dear life I don't do this, you ask my kids I don't beg anyone the Holy Spirit wants to heal you this morning and you, you don't need to hold on to this grief another moment you don't need to leave this place with it you need to bring it down to the altar right here, right now so move let the Holy Spirit let you take the step would you just bow your heads right now, church? Would you pray? Would you pray? Lord, you want this to be a day of renewal, a day of healing, and it already has been, but there's someone else. Who are you? Step out of your seat and bring it down to the altar right now. Let your pride and your ego down this morning. Let God remind you who he is and who you are. And let him wrap his mercy and grace around you. In Jesus' name. It's not too late to come. Yes, come. Who else are you? There's another. Who are you? I want you to just kneel down at the altar. If I feel led, I'll come pray for you. I promise. Yes. Is there another? No reason to walk out of here this way. No reason. Yes, Holy Spirit. Yes. Church, I'm going to ask you one more time to just 
extend your hands to these people. If these people held out this long, chances are they're really hurt. Stretch it out and pray for them. In Jesus' name, I pray every person at this altar right here, right now. Ah, ah. We're going to pray for these people, possibly. And if you feel the need, you can be, this is not a test or a challenge. I just want you to know you can be formally dismissed. We love you and we hope you have a great Labor Day. But if you feel led to stay, stay as long as you like as these pray. And we pray for others. You have a great weekend. Be blessed.